0: Hey, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. Glad you're with us on demand. I want to talk about blaming other people. Sometimes you blame everybody for what happened to you. Your mama did it. Your daddy did it. Your cousin did it. Somebody else did it. Neighbor did it. It's always somebody else. And maybe they did. Maybe they're guilty. But today's study will take you beyond what they did to you. to help you find your future. So stay right there with me. It's going to be great. On Demand put the word in your hand. Hey, if you like it, link it and send it to a friend. Because This message is going to help you. It sure helped me. Stay right there. Going to Genesis today It's going to be a great study. Stay there. Well, welcome back. Glad you're with me today. I want to take you on a journey and we're going to dive down deep here in our study. It's a study of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a few weeks here talking about why people never do what they say they're going to do. This is my last answer for this year to that question. And it's because they don't know where they are. That's this year. That's this month's answer. Sometimes people never do what they say they're going to do because they don't know where they are. And so my question for you today is, where are you? Where are you really at in your life? Uh, and I, we can talk about a number of categories, you know, your money, your finances, your health, your, your emotional state. But I want to take you into the text and I want to plow through for a moment the five things I promised you we talk about this month if you missed the first sermon. Number one, we talked about the fact that Adam and Eve, after uh, they sinned, they started hiding. When they knew they had violated God's command, they hid themselves. And I asked you the question, are you hiding? It's a great sermon. You have to go back and listen to it. And the second thing we talked about was being naked, how sometimes you're uncovered. And that, I love the question that God asked Adam and Eve. He says, who told you that you were naked? Where did this naked thing come from? And then they go on and talk about being afraid and all that stuff. is a really, really great sermon. You want to hear that one too. Number three, just today's sermon. We'll talk about blaming other people. You're going to notice that it's very easy to blame, to make it somebody else's fault, to call somebody else. And next week, we're going to turn and talk to about being fixable. How after you mess up your life, things go wrong and you, you don't know what to do. We talk about how God can fix your life. And then lastly, we'll talk this month about starting over again how important it is to learn how to start over. Sometimes you're in a new season of life and learning how to embrace the change can be really important. Let's start in Genesis 3, verse 10. I want to remind you what what we're reading so you can kind of be up to date if you missed it. Genesis 3 and 10. He answered, God did, I heard you in the garden. I'm sorry, Adam answered rather. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now, for those of you who are not really big Bible people, here's what happened. It's the story of Adam and Eve and the creation of man. And in chapter three of Genesis, there's a discussion about how man fell. And so when God comes back in the garden, he says, I want you guys to eat everything in the garden except one tree. This is the tree of choice. This is the tree of the good and evil. This is the tree that decides whether you want to obey me or not. And that was the importance of the tree. Some people say, well, why would you put a tree in the garden if you know they're going to eat it? Well, because God knew that they had to have the right to say no to him. It's always important to see the power of democracy, the power of choice, the power of saying I want to or I don't want to. And that's what's happening here. And so after the fall of man, there was this discussion with God about how they felt. They were afraid. They felt naked. And so what we've done now is we've taken the third observation And notice in verse 12, what happens after God confronts man? He said, it's the woman you gave me. He blames the woman. One of the things that happens after we fail is we look for someone to blame. It's got to be my daddy's fault. You know, he wasn't there for me. It's got to be my mama's fault. It's got to be somebody didn't provide something for me. And that's why I'm in where I'm at. This is where my money's gone. The kids took it. Or, you know, those mean old bill collectors called and wanted to be paid. So we have all these reasons. And I asked you the last time we were together, I asked you a question. I said, do you run from God when you hear his voice? I've been asking that for a couple of weeks now. Secondly, I asked you, do you blame your life issues on on your fears? I thought that was fascinating in chapter three, verse 10. When God asked him, said, why did you do this? He said, I was afraid. Why'd you hide? Because I was afraid. First time fear is used in the Bible. And the third question we thought about was, do you go along with people because they're family? Adam, Adam in verse 12 took the fruit. And he says, the woman that you gave me, gave it to me. So I took it. And it's so easy sometimes if you're not careful to let fear dominate you, begin to be the pushing force in your life. And you start making bad decisions because you're afraid, afraid of being ignorant, afraid of not having advantage, afraid of something. And so you just compromise because you're, quote, afraid. Afraid to be unique. And so Adam says, I was afraid. Secondly, it's interesting that he did it with a family member. Families can be great, but families can be amazingly um, trapping, if I can use that terminology. You can find yourself um, trapped. In amazing ways, simply because you're trying to get along with family. And that's what happened to Adam. Now, I like to the, the broaden our conversation a little bit because I think the story of Adam and Eve is pretty obvious and pretty, pretty painful to watch. But I want to ask you a broader question. Let me drop a list of potential people that normally we blame when things don't go right in our life. Because the key focus of our study is blaming people. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and serpent had nobody to blame in Genesis chapter 3. But in our lives, normally we blame other people. Let me give you a list. Number one, we blame fathers. In my opinion, fathers are often at the top of the list. And I don't know that a lot of times people even really know their father's story. Daddy wasn't there. Daddy didn't. I hear that all the time. I hear sometimes about mama, but I hear a lot about daddy not being there. You might ask the question, well, isn't it true? Isn't it true? Well, it may be true, but I think there are always reasons, and I'm not justifying any of them. I'm just simply saying, Fathers are often the people that we blame. Then mothers. But oftentimes, again, the issue is you don't know your mother's story. Mothers have a story. Fathers have a story. We often blame them for what they didn't do in our lives, but they were young trying to figure it out oftentimes. Thirdly, siblings. And it depends on the kind of relationship you have with your siblings. Uh, You know, you can blame them for your issues in life. Fourthly, we blame friends. And I'm not saying that they're innocent all the time, but it's amazing how we we blame, let me say them again, fathers, mothers, siblings, and friends. And number five, we blame spouses. Uh, You know, it's really easy if you're not careful to make your spouse the fall person. For everything in your life that's not right. You married them, they broke your heart, they weren't perfect, okay. And I know you were, but I'm just saying, they are often a place we tend to throw blame. Number six, employers. They won't give me a raise. They won't do this. They won't give me a promotion. They won't make my life better. And, and, and if you're not careful, all of your life success is the responsibility of your employer. Now, what's really amazing is some of you have never re- signed a paycheck. You've never been responsible for people. And it's really powerful how you can be a person who gets a big high on always making it your boss's fault. And sometimes I think that's just totally unfair. The boss has a side, too. And as a guy who's had hundreds of people over the years... I can tell you there's another side to the responsibility of paying all the taxes, paying for your retirement, your health care, and having to meet payroll every two weeks or however often you get paid. It's really an amazing responsibility. i millions of dollars in my case, and it's a lot of money over years. And so you begin to feel the weight and the pressure of that, and sometimes you can make it all about your boss's fault, but maybe the employees had something to do with it. Or maybe it's outside of the boss's hands. The economy changed. They can't pay you what they used to pay or want to pay you. Now, I believe in paying people and I try my best. Believe me, I lean on my budget to make sure I pay people right and treat people right. But it is, it is, a, there is a story I have to tell that's different than a person who's never done that. Just something to think about. And then lastly, we blame ourselves. It's always your fault. It's always something you didn't do. If you're not careful, all of life will be set on your shoulders. I fight this all the time. Because I tend to think it's my responsibility for my kids to be at a certain place. It's my responsibility to make sure things are cared for. Uh, I'll, I'll lean on my own income more than maybe I should sometimes because I want to make sure things are perfect. And there's this, this strong, um, self-condemning uh, well, you, plague, I guess I could call it, that will follow you as a man, as a woman, as a father, as a husband, as an employer. I mean, all the lists I just said. As a spouse, all of us who are operating in one of these seven things can say, yeah, I've been the spouse that feel, feels guilty. I'm the employer, I'm the, I'm the person, the sibling. My, my sisters and brothers blame me for not being a perfect brother or whatever. There's always a weight. And I'm gonna say just selfishly here for a minute, fathers, I really hear you. I hear how you feel, I get your pain. Mama, I get yours, but just for a minute, let me say to the guys, I, I feel you. But you must learn to release yourself from that. It doesn't help you at all. Now, there are tools to help heal uh, what I call um, a blamed and fractured family. There is a book that that I just really like. This guy's name is called Fractured Families and How to Heal Them by Carl Pilmer. And it's really great. It's a good book. It has some simple insights into it. And I made a note about this book because he reports that estrangement, that's what he calls estrangement, involves cutting off regular uh, contact between two or more family members. He describes in percentages the number of families that suffer through this phenomenon. Now, please understand, the reason I'm doing this, and I'm going through this slowly for a minute here, is because what I said we do is we tend to blame other people. What blaming does is it leads you to estrangement, which means you start separating from each other. And he defines estrangement in the book as uh, cutting off regular contact between two or more family members. And so he gives these numbers that were just startling to me. Incredible. Here's what he said. 27% of families in the U.S. are dealing with estrangement. That's 89,715,000 people. That's how many families are dealing with it in America. 10% of the parents are estranged. That's 33 million. He says 33 million are estranged from their children. Remember, estrangement means cutting off regular contact between two or more family members. He goes on to say that 8% of siblings, that's 26,582,000 siblings are separated. Then he says 9% of of other family members, that's 29 million other family members, not not your sister, not your brother, not your brother, other other family members, 29,905,000 of you are separated, fragmented. And then he gives these simple solutions that I think are profound. There are five things he says that can really make a difference. Number one, let go of the past. You just have to let it go. You have to say to yourself, I cannot, I will not, I'm not going to be blamed. I'm not going to allow myself to be tied down to this. I'm not going to allow myself to be controlled by it. He says, let it go. That's the song, right? You remember that? Yeah, let it go. And then take responsibility. Is there some part of this that you can own? And say, I was a part of that. I was a part of that. I was in there somewhere and I need to make sure we fix this estrangement, this, this fragmented, blaming, talking mean to each other, uh, picking fights with each other. Let's let it go. Take responsibility. And thirdly, he said, change your expectations. I can't say how much, boy, it means for you to just say, I don't expect you to be perfect. I don't expect you in some cases, to pay me back, because I know you never do and can't. I may never loan you money again, okay? Because you don't. But I need to get over what happened. I need to make sure that I take responsibility. I need to change my expectations. I've learned I get along with people a lot better when I don't expect certain things from them. I don't expect them to call me. I don't expect them. I'm a, I'm a reacher out person. You heard that? Reacher out. <laughs> <laughs> Made that up. I'm I'm I'm, not, I'm a reacher, but everybody's not. Everybody's not as friendly as I am. I love people. I enjoy it. I, I'm an extrovert in the street. My wife says an introvert at home. So I'm an ambivert, which means I, I get real quiet sometimes by myself, like it, love it, being alone, Raised an only child. So I really like the alone space. But then I'm really a people person. I call. I come to your house, take my shoes off. That's me. But I understand that I can't expect everybody to be that way. So I change my expectations and I feel better about people because I don't expect you to do certain things for me. I don't expect my kids to do certain things for me. I'm different. I'm, I'm different. I love my kids. They love me, but I don't, I, I have to learn to not, not, I love this and I'll mention it in a minute. There's a, there's a way as a parent that I can be very immature if I'm not careful and I'll talk about that in a minute because if you're not careful your expectations are causing you the pain you're having. So let me move on to number four in the list. Set boundaries. Here we go. Number one, let go of the past. Number two, take responsibility. Number three, change your expectations. And number four, set boundaries. These are the things I will do and not do. These are the places I'm going to go and not go. And then lastly, he says, give them one last chance. I love it. Give them one more chance. Jump in the river if you can. If it's not dangerous, if it's not a risk to you, if it's not going to harm you, if you if you can feel safe enough to do it, then give them another chance. There's, there's a power in that, and he goes through this wonderful thing. So that's a book that I, I love. This by Carl Pilmer, and it's called Fractured Families and How to Heal Them. So that might be a good place for you to go. Let me give you a final tip. Now, there's another book. I'm a book guy, as you can tell. And this book, it, the title offended me, and uh, I've been meeting with small groups of young adults talking about it, and it's called Adult Children of emotionally immature parents, adult children of emotionally immature parents. Now, here's what I want you to see. Most of the blame, as I said, happens in families where you know, daddy blames the family, the family blames dad or blame the spouses or whatever. And I, I thought this book in particular was one I wanted you to look at because I think it really speaks to a lot of things. And he t- talks about four types of immature parents. And again, when I first read the title, it bothered me because I thought, what do you mean, immature parents? Because we always say our kids are immature, but we never, never take it and look at ourselves. And here are the four signs. He calls them emotionally emotional parents are oftentimes immature. Uh, emotional parents are run by their feelings swinging between environment and abrupt withdrawals. They, they are prone to frightening instability and unpredictability. Overwhelmed by anxiety, they rely on others to stabilize them. They treat small upsets like the end of the world and see other people as either rescuers or abandoners. That's what it's like dealing with an emotional parent. you just all over the place, all the time. Second sign, second type of immature parent, the, the driven parents. These are compulsively goal-oriented and super busy. They can't stop trying to perfect everything, including other people. Although they're rarely paused long enough to have true empathy for their children, they are controlling and interfering when it comes to running their children's lives." Wow. (laughs) Gotta move on. Number three, passive parents. They have a laissez-faire mindset and avoid dealing with anything upsetting. They're less obviously harmful than the other types, but they have their own negative effects. They readily take a backseat to a dominant mate, even allowing abuse and neglect to occur by looking the other way. I've seen that a lot. Man, I've seen that a lot. They cope by minimizing problems and acquiescing going along. Here's the fourth one. You ready? Rejecting parents. Listen to this one. Rejecting parents engage in a range of behaviors that make you wonder why they have a family in the first place. <laughs> Whether their behavior is mild or, or severe, they don't enjoy emotional intimacy and clearly don't want to be bothered by children. Here's a secret. Churches are kind of like this, you know. They don't want children to be children. They want them to be old, young people. <laughs> you ever go to one of those um, youth services? They're hilarious. It's a bunch of old people in the audience. To talk, young people. Go with it. You're right. And then there's a young person up there pretending he's an old person. You know, preaching like an old person. And it's not like a young person service. Because they didn't plan it. They have very little power in it. Because if young people could plan the service, let me tell you what would happen. The music would be different. The clothing would be different. There'd be no suits, no ties. And we would, if you, listen to me carefully, we would have a recess go outside and play, come back in, shoot a little basketball, you know, have the snacks and pizza, you know what I'm saying? It'd always be food. That's right, if young people were in charge. I mean, there's so many things that are so different. And I I just think churches don't have the tolerance for young people. And I think a lot of adults don't either. That's just me helping you, hopefully. Their tolerance for other people's needs is practically nil, he goes on to say, and this is describing again, rejecting parents. And their interactions consist of issuing commands. The only way they interact with you is they give out commands. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know, it's so funny. We have young people service and we have, to, we have to make sure that the older people, and they do really well in our church. So, young, older people, you're with me. I'm tracking with you. I'm 65. I'm on your side. But we have to stop them from correcting young people all the time. Now, you want to guide them, but you don't want it to be, the only thing you relate to them about is what's wrong. Parents make this mistake all the time. The only time they hear you talk to them is when they do something wrong. I could talk a long time about that. Their tolerance for other people's needs is practically nil and their interactions consist of issuing commands, blowing up or isolating themselves from their family life. Some of the milder types may engage in stereotype family activities, but they still show little closeness or real engagement. They mostly want to be left alone and do their thing. Why? Because they are rejecting parents. Do your kids feel like that? Do the people around you feel that way? It's so easy for that to be the case. I close with these final thoughts. When you have a life with a person like this, you, you do develop blaming issues where you can say, yeah, Pastor Rick, you just described my parents. And that's why I blame them for where, they are, where I am. But I, I don't know that you, you're going to solve that if you just... Allow yourself to live there. I think it's um, easy to be provoked. It's easy to be frustrated. And the book, I want you to get it because it goes through a long list of other things, a whole section on life with emotional immature parents. What's it like? Communication is difficult. They provoke anger, he says. They communicate by emotional contagion. I love that, which means, um, it's, uh, he said, emotional contagion is also how babies and little children communicate. You know, they, they, they yell, they scream, they cry they get their way. And he said, that's what it's like. Oh, most immature parents also um, don't, do emotion, don't do the emotional work that's necessary, the hard engagement, the conversations. Everything is about what I want, what I say. There's no two-way communication. Um, and they don't want to understand the emotional experience of other people. They're hard to give to. Emotionally immature people crave attention uh, to their needs, yet they, they're actually hard to give to. You, you try to give them love and they push it back. It's amazing. They demand mirroring. Now, this was one I really liked. When you deal with an immature person, they, they, they look at themselves and then they look at you and say, you need to be like this. So, and, and, and if it's your parent, it's really difficult because you say, I'm not you. But they look in the mirror and say, you need to be like a temple. See, temples are like this. Now, I'm not saying there's not some elements that you should emulate. And I want to make sure we balance this out because I do believe that there are times when, as a parent, there are things that I do need to see Uh, You need to see it as an example for you. And this this is why it's so important. This is why the book bothered me because when emotionally immature parents, I thought, what do you mean? You're trying to say we're immature? In some cases, we are. Because you can take that too far. Ricky Jr., R.J., is not me. He has different desires and passions in his life. Music is a big passion. Art is a big passion. He works for Disney. He's a tremendously committed guy. That's what he does. And I celebrate his success. I celebrate his life. Christina's different. Christina's more of an administrative person, loves children. Different person. My wife's different. My wife's arts, children. I don't know. She's a whole lot of stuff mixed together. But I can't can't just look in my mirror and have them be me. But I can challenge them in certain practical ways. And I think that's my role as a father. I think there's a role for me to be a voice. But I have to understand they're not going to be exactly me. I love this. The mirroring thing is amazing. And then he goes on to say, uh, their self-esteem rides on your compliance. They don't feel good about themselves unless you comply with everything they say. Uh, role entitlement, because I'm your daddy, because I'm your mama. I do think there's some value to that. I do think that you, you can, you, there is a value in your parents having a role and respecting them as your father. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. That's true. But I think I have to be careful that I don't think I'm entitled to certain things. I just love that. Role entitlement is an attitude of demanding certain treatment because of your social role. When parents feel entitled to do what they want simply because they're in the role of parent, this is the form of role entitlement. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I have to balance that out. I do think I have to speak to things and I have to be a, a father and a present leader in the family. But yet I don't need to abuse my children. Don't provoke my kids to wrath the Bible says. And then, of course, road coercion, which means I'm forcing people, road coercion, do I get that word out, to force a person to do things I want them to do. And then lastly, before we're done, here we go, they have an inconsistent sense of time. So although this is extremely subtle, he says, point and easily overlooked, mostly immature people often have a fragmented orientation to time, especially when they get emotional. So they'll talk too long, they'll say too much, they're not aware, of, of time, your age, or any of that. It's really a tremendous reading. I, I read a lot to you and quoted a lot from this book for a reason. I need you, if you're going to make sure you're fair, that you're not blaming your children when it's because of your immaturity. All the things I just gave you, probably too many, but all the things I just sampled and gave you. Are you somewhere in there? Can you say, yeah, I do coerce them. I do force them. Yeah, I do. I do talk about I'm your mom all the time. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm guilty of, of self-esteem. Um, my, so my, my, my self-esteem is tied to your compliance. I don't feel good about me unless you do everything I say. Looking at yourself honestly and maybe not blaming someone else, but maybe saying the fragmentation in our family is too much. I've allowed us to be fragmented for too long. It is, it is too 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 bad that we are like this and maybe I can be a part of it. Instead of blaming them, see what you can do to mend and heal the fence. Now, I've said a lot today and I hope I've helped you. And I hope that you get yourself ready for the next stage in our conversation because next time we're going to talk about God's unique plan to save us. God had a plan and he looked in the world and saw we were in a mess. And he says, you know, I got a plan to fix this. During Christmas season, we go through this whole conversation And it's not so much about Christmas being the day Christ was born, but the message that his birth tells us, that God has a way of creating a unique way to save us. You may be blaming others. You may feel it's somebody else's fault. But today, in this moment, I want you to pause and look at yourself and say, God, I'm open to your unique plan for my life so that I can receive your best plan. I lay my children before you. I lay those I work with before you. I lay all the issues that I can hide behind before you and pray you'd help me find my way. I declare that in your life. You, hang, you hung with me. We got through a lot of material today. I hope you were blessed by it. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that everything I've said has helped them find their way, bring healing, blessing, and strength. I pray that these few minutes have been uplifting and inspiring. I pray that they would open their hearts and minds to hear you today. This list was long, discussed a lot of issues, but Father, they, there's one thing that stood out in their mind. I pray they would grab a hold of that and say, I'm not going to blame everybody anymore. I'm not going to blame my children. I'm not going to just even blame myself. I'm not going to sit under guilt. Let me get it out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to sit under guilt or shame, but I'm going to rise up and become victorious. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, I pray you're blessed by today's message. And I hope you see that sometimes blaming other people doesn't help you. There are a whole lot of people you can blame. Your parents, we talked about them. You can talk about how not only your parents bad, but somebody else hurt you. Well, whoever hurt you, today is the day you lay at the altar and let God free you. You don't want to be in that statistic that talks about how many people in the world around you are divided and suffering from this painful division is not healthy. You don't need to be in that crowd. So I want to challenge you to pray with me right now. Maybe you're facing this division in your family. You're part of those millions of people that are fractured from each other. Why don't you find a way to find healing today? I know, I know they did it. I know they're guilty, but Jesus died for everybody. And maybe there's a way you can step to healing if you allow him to. Let's pray. Father, may I, pray, may I see God, your hand on them today, resting on them, healing them, lifting them to a new place. And I pray the fracturing in these families would be healed. Those who are following parents who have been immature, who didn't know what they were doing, but maybe tried. But whatever circumstance they're in, I pray for healing. And I pray that like Adam and Eve blamed everybody but themselves. May they come to a place where they say, no, God, this part of this is me. May they be able to own their part, but yet understand that people grow through their own part, but let them be free today to walk past what happened to them to a new future in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, got to go. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple, Overcoming by Faith in Savannah, Georgia. Thank you for being with us today. If you like what you heard today, link it and send it to a friend. We'll see you next time. If you've got a question for me, you can email me. Yes, you can at pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. That's pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. Have a great day. Be blessed and thank you for your support. Thanks for being with us today and have a great day. Bye-bye.